Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about the anti-vanity metric. <laughs> what could it be? Because notice that you said the, not a or an, a vanity metric. Mm-hmm. So what is it, Jonathan? Profitability. Yes. It, mm-hmm. Revenue, market share, headcount, square footage, all of that stuff is a vanity metric or at best a leading indicator of profitability, in my humble opinion. But if you, you know, if you're if your business is making five million dollars a year and your costs are six million dollars a year, <laughs> how do you <laughs> make that up? Volume. Um, yeah, you, you need to be making more than you're spending. Duh, right? Duh. Mm-hmm. But it's so easy to get wrapped up in like, oh, my podcast downloads are increasing dramatically, or my mailing list is growing dramatically, or my website traffic is going up, or, you know, I'm closing a higher percentage of deals, or, you know, my team is at full utilization, or if it's just me, I'm like nice and busy, but not too busy. None of that matters <laughs> if you're not. <laughs> Increasing your profitability steadily over time. To me, that is the only growth metric that matters. And I am just back from the MYOB conference in Atlanta, which was put in put on by our friend David C. Baker. And uh, and it the idea of profitability came up quite a bit. It might have been if there was a, a word cloud of the topics. Uh, certainly within the, the talks I saw, some were competing, and I couldn't go to all of them, but. Uh, within the talks I saw, profitability was pro- would probably be the biggest word in the tag cloud uh, from the conference. Well, and Michaela was the keynote speaker. And of course, we know profit yeah. first is yep. part of his vernacular. Yes. And my talk was about creating leverage, a.k.a. making more money without working more hours, a.k.a. increasing your profit margin ratio. So mm-hmm. Michaela's talk was about starting to think about profit as a thing, putting it first, not last, and and capturing it and then mine dovetailed really nicely with that it was like okay now that you're capturing it how do we increase it and not in absolute not numbers necessarily but in in relative numbers Mm -hmm. so as a percentage of your costs your revenue should be going up your revenue percentage should be going up sorry profit percentage yeah that's what sort of makes it interesting with with our audience because most people in our audience are are soloists and it's really tempting to just think that we don't have any costs. I mean, our overhead is really low, right? Mm-hmm. Most of us don't have office expenses. You're probably paying some software fees. Maybe you have a bookkeeper, an accountant, mm-hmm. a lawyer, uh, a VA, you know, but it's not like you're making a product that costs 75% of your revenue. Right. So it's like the first thing is like thinking about it that way and then starting to think about your time in a different way. Right. right. Because if, if that's what you're going to do, if you're going to spend less time to make more money, ultimately you're more profitable with the hours you're investing in the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the, it's the, like all of that stuff that we have, it's pretty much all fixed costs. It's like zero, zero uh, marginal cost to, with the exception of the time that you need to spend, it's zero marginal cost for selling like another ebook or, adding three more people to a course that you're running anyway. It's pretty close to zero. With one-on-one mm-hmm. stuff, one-on-one stuff, it, there is a sort of cost of goods sold in that your time goes up. If I have five coaching students, it's you know roughly a certain amount of hours per week. Uh, if I have 10, it doubles, right? So right. The, right. the 
that has your profitability a doesn't change your revenue right. does but not your profitability right it doesn't really like if i could i could do 100 but my percentage of cost to uh, revenue wouldn't change it would it was just like a linear progression so in absolute dollars i would double my absolute dollars but i don't really care about that after a certain fairly low point what i want to be able to do is either make the same money working half the time or make twice as much money working the same amount of time that's an indication that your your profitability or your profit margin ratio people use different words for it but it's expressed as a percentage and that's the metric that i want to see going up over time mm-hmm so cool okay so one thing that uh, i think you might have mentioned before the show or alluded to it on the show is that soloists have a really hard time distinguishing between themselves as the business owner and themselves as the key or only employee mm-hmm. and it feels like revenue is profit because maybe it's an llc and everything passes through to them personally anyhow and it's like, well, this is all my money. It, you know, I don't have to, I have basically no expenses other than my fixed monthly, you know, grand or two or three or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And anything left over after that is all mine. And, and it's, and, and that's not wrong, but that's thinking about it like a mentality, like a, a employee mentality that you have a job in your salary is your income. But the, the profitability number is a business number. So if you, the way that I like to describe this is that there's one way I've been describing it. There's a new way I want to bounce off you that might might make it click because a lot of people have a hard time getting their heads around this. I definitely had, it took me a long time to get my head around this. But if you imagine you're the only employee and you're like doing 300 grand a year and you're like, awesome, that's like, all, uh, that's like the business is very profitable, um, but you're working like a dog, like 80 hours yeah. a week. Yeah, maybe it's profitable. Right. And then in the, the to kind of get, give yourself an idea of how profitable the business is, not how well you are doing as the employee, but how profitable the business is, you would say, okay, like you're great at what you do. You're cranking it. You're working 80 hours a week. Um, you're, 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 you're working too much, but you're doing well. You're comfortable. Um, if you hired someone as amazing as you, maybe two people as amazing as you to come in and work 40 hours a week and do just a good job as you, how much would you have left over if you were just sitting around drinking margaritas on the beach? Minus and, 120,000. <laughs> yeah. On the 300K example, yeah. Right. Yeah. You'd be doing, the business would be probably bankrupt instantly. Mm-hmm. You'd probably miss payroll right away. <laughs> but another, <laughs> that's the way I usually describe it. The new way to describe it, I'm not, I haven't quite got this figured out. Maybe you can help me. But it's like, like, let's say you don't change anything. You're not going to go drink margaritas on the beach and you're just going to keep doing what you've been doing, but you give the business to like a family member. You're like, oh, I want, uh, I want to have, there's going to be like an owner, right? Or there's mm-hmm. someone, someone buys into the business that, that might be a better way. Like I told you, I haven't figured this out yet, but it, let's say you're going to say, oh, I want to, um. I want to sell the business to someone. Yeah. I'll just be the employee. I'm going to sell the business to someone. Even if you gave it to them for free, how much would they be netting in dividends or distributions after your salary gets paid? Like how much of the money, the revenue, the business is bringing in would be left over to give to the new owner, right? Probably zero, mm-hmm. right. zero. So, yeah. so if you, so if you, if you think of it that way, how much would an investor or a buyer give you for your business? The answer is nothing. 
Yeah. That's how, that's how you know how much leverage you have is when you try to sell or even think about selling a business. What is this actually worth if I'm not here? Even if you were there, <laughs> well, it's yeah. still worth nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because you've got to pay. Somebody has to pay you or you have mm-hmm. to pay someone. Yeah. And yeah, it's not free labor. It's right. you, the, a way to think about this is that there is a cost for your labor and you get to set what that cost is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can't, you can't just, pre- oh, well, you can, but if you're thinking about it like an employee, you're, it's like a job without a boss. That's the way I thought about it for probably two years, maybe longer. I, I had a hard time distinguishing or like mentally s- separating the revenue, the business revenue with my salary, mm-hmm. you know, my salary and distribution, my, my full owner compensation. Uh, so, you know, having, being in, uh, set up as an S corp does help this quite a bit because it's not a pass through you, you have to run payroll and you have, you know, it's like all my name is just my name on president, treasurer, you know, like all, <laughs> right. all the executive board. And I have to spend 500 or a thousand bucks a year for the legal stuff to keep it that way. But the thing I do like about an S corp is that it is financially separated. The business and your personal um, money is just, it's separated. You have mm-hmm. to run payroll. You have to pay FICA. You have to do all that stuff. And yeah. it's it's much easier for me. Like for me who doesn't want to think about stuff, I like to just set set stuff up and forget about it. Like having it set up like that really helped me finally get it through my head that it wasn't one blob of money and like whatever's in the checking account is mine, right? Like the business is a yeah. separate entity. Yeah. And it's interesting when I've worked with people who, you know, during the time that they made the shift to a sub S. It's like mm-hmm. a light bulb went off. I mean, not like in one moment, but right. it's you, there's a rigor around it that often doesn't exist when you're doing like a DBA, uh, mm-hmm. doing business as. It's just, it's different, but it, it adds that structure that makes you realize finally, mm-hmm. oh, you have a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so beyond, beyond the growth, so beyond, the, beyond trying to grow your profitability percentage, it's like it's like okay that sounds like a good thing to do uh make more money work less hours work fewer hours like that mm-hmm. sounds good uh but why does it matter and there are a couple in the near term when you're in the survive stage if you're sort of just starting out or you've never really left the launch pad sufficiently to make yourself happy you know it's it's like if you're working too much it's a way to work less without losing money and if you are um, not working too much, but you want to make some lifestyle decisions, um, you know, maybe your kids are little and you just want to work less, then uh, e- even if you're not overworked, you could just be like, okay, you can just decrease the amount of time you work. Or you can be like, no, I like the number of hours I work and I want to um, increase the profitability. Per- so work the same amount and you're going to increase your revenue, which is like you said, is it's fairly... It's it's very closely aligned with cost. Uh, sorry, with profits because the costs don't change that much depending on what you do. But they the costs tend to not mm-hmm. change that much. So you can have a way more money than you need without working more. And what is good about that, other than the the security and all of that? The thing that's really good about that, as you put it, is you <laughs> end up with fu money. So that's how I think about it. Right. So you you get to a point. Where it, which was beautifully illustrated by a story the closing keynote speaker gave at MYOB, uh, where he described an agency owner who had a deal with uh, someone big. It was like 
it was like USA Today or it was someone, it was like a home, uh, uh, household name brand. And they had done like a Super Bowl ad for them. And the, and, and when it went live, they got so much traffic to the website that the website was crashing. They could barely keep it up. It like totally worked. You know, the Mm -hmm. website team, the web team probably got in trouble, but, but the ad worked. Uh, and then there was something like, um, there was like a little kerfuffle somewhere on Twitter or something like that, where like 60 or 70 people took issue with, you know, the, the nature of the content. I don't know what the specific concern was, if it was offensive or, or it should have been done differently or whatever. Um, but the, and the client flipped out, even though the ad was Mm -hmm. obviously effective, he flipped out that like 60 or 70 people had something to complain about and they had little out of millions, teapot, out of millions. <laughs> yeah. And, and so they, they, I'm probably getting the story wrong, but it's, ba- this is the basic concept. And they came to loggerheads over it. The, the, the client was like, look, we got to stop running. We can't run this ad anymore. We got to change it uh, because, you know, people are freaking out. <laughs> and the agency <laughs> owner was like, no, this ad is crushing it. It's completely works. You can't even keep your website up to deal with all the traffic. And the, the client said, well, you're going to do what we say because this is a $245 million contract, you know, annual contract for you. And the, the, the agency owner said, you're fired. You know, how can you do that? How could you, dear listener, how could you say no to $245 million? And the agency owner was like, well, I have five years of operating expenses in the bank. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. So you can take your $245 million and put it where the sun don't shine because you are wrong and I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do, which is bad work. You're asking me to do bad work and I don't have to do it. So I'm not going to. And, you know, these numbers are like astronomical probably for most people listening, but the premise is the same. Oh, and oh, by the way, they landed Porsche like six months later, who ended up being like a great client. A great client. Yeah. And think about the difference where when you think about this as a business and, you know, we don't know this business owner, but let's assume that they they said, you know what, we're going to need FU money at some point. We're really pushing the envelope with our ads and our creative. We need to be ready. And somebody had the foresight to say, let's bank these expenses because we're going to have some lean years. We're going to want to fire a client. A client is going to fire us. Let's be prepared. Mm-hmm. Contrast that with if you're thinking about your business as just you and that all the money that comes in is yours, you may not have that kind of planning mindset that says, oh, yeah, I should probably start now when I'm making money and I have extra, I should start banking some now for when a quiet day comes or when I want to make a quiet day come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I Is want it, to, it, right. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a totally different mindset. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's really what we're talking about here is getting that, that profitability and um, business mindset around how to, how to manage all of this, this that you're bringing in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, if, if dear listener, you want to go and try and find this story, the speaker's name was Derek Walker and you can maybe, I don't know if he's talked about it publicly elsewhere, but I I would suspect that he has to find the the actual details of the story. But uh, another, as you were just saying that it occurred, you know, the sort of feast famine cycle, I probably have, so this is funny. It's like, I probably have feast famine cycles, but I don't Mm -hmm. even notice it because I don't need the money in the famine cycle. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it's like if the, if let's picture a plane, right? Picture a plane, just sort of like 
swooping down and swooping up and swooping down and swooping up, swooping down and swooping up. If you're at 10,000 feet, this is not a problem. If you're at 10 feet, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you get one like swoop in, in Top down Gun, and you where crashed. they have the hard deck, right? It's I, like, I, yeah, you have to have the hard deck. You do not go below the hard deck. Fair enough. Yes, I will take your word for it. Have not seen that one yet. But yeah, that sounds right, right? Like there's this point you can you can have ups and downs. It just doesn't feel like famine unless you're going down to zero or like close to it. Like, you know, like next month is going to be like scrambling. Where am I going to get the money for the mortgage? And you're like, uh, like that's where the feeling of the feast famine cycle comes from. It's you're too close to the, what did you call it? The hard, the hard deck, hard deck. Yes, that makes <laughs> sense. You're too close to the deck. So if you can, if you can get mean, a meaningful level of profits and it really helps to separate the business profits from your idea of your salary, it's like a surprisingly important distinction, at least it was for me and start to think about it like that then you can increase your altitude above the hard deck so that when things go up and down, it doesn't feel like a life or death experience. It's just not that big a deal. And But you just can't build up that cushion without profits. Yeah. I mean, that's the first thing. And if, you know, if you're just starting out, obviously, this is all just, you're just imagining that as a hazy dream. But if you start to build it into your definition of enough, Mm-hmm. So, you know, enough is, you know, putting aside some money for a rainy day for your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. You start to look at it entirely differently. And the reason that you don't notice the fluctuations is that you probably have planned for it. So, you know, maybe you pay yourself the same amount all year long and you pay it out of this one account that you've funded mm-hmm. and you continue to fund. But guess what? In a month where you have zero, no money goes in. In a month where you have a lot, more money goes in. So yeah. y- y- you work it out. You smooth out the ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though the income still might be a roller coaster. Like the revenue might yeah. still look like a roller coaster. Yeah. So it's a, like a capacitor, like a cushion. In, in fact, if for, the, for any folks who are just starting out and are just like, oh, I haven't, I haven't created that leverage yet. I'm still, it's kind of one-to-one and I'm barely getting mm-hmm. by on my, what is essentially your salary, barely getting by on the revenue I'm bringing in. The, I mean, look no further than profit first. Like Mike Michalowicz, his, his yep. core premise is every time you get a check, take 1% of it and put it in a bank account that you do not have easy access to. You know, it's kind of like the envelope system, but you, you know, you take 1% and you move it into a different, he, he goes so far as to say, like, put it in a different bank that is an inconvenient bank, mm-hmm. one that you'd literally have to go in and ask for them to cut you a cashier's check to get the money. And it's like, if you're just starting out and his advice, just to get started and start getting that dopamine rush of, of like being, doing the right thing, doing that sort of proactive, healthy behavior is just take 1% every time you get a check, 1%, every, every, everything that comes in, just put 1% in that difficult to access account. And you can think of it as a rainy day fund, I suppose. He might even refer to it like that, but that's your profit. Take the profit out and then operate the business on what's left over. And he did tell a pretty funny story about, uh, you know, like, imagine you open up a brand new tube of toothpaste and you like, you like squeeze the first first blob (laughs) of toothpaste out. You put too much on, it falls off the side. You have to do another one and, you know, use a giant blob. And then at the end of the toothpaste, so you've used like five times more than you need or, or wasted 
a whole bunch more than you need. You get to the end and you're just like trying to pinch the top of the thing <laughs> to just get that last little turtle head yeah. of, of That's of, me. I'm gonna get the last bit out of that out of that tube. <laughs> right. And so so it's it's like a tenth of what you blobbed onto the bottom of the sink because you you um you and the point is it's like live off of the empty toothpaste tube. Run your business off of the empty toothpaste tube and you what will happen and I believe this to be true. I didn't, this isn't how I did it. I was just like, forget that. Just like create massive amount of leverage as quickly as possible. And that was my approach. But this, his approach, you have way more control over because you can do it today. You just decide to do it. And That's why he uses 1% because, you know, 1% over time is not enough, obviously. But if you're zero, 1% is better than zero. zero and every one. quarter you raise it another percent. Mm-hmm. And you, when you start to get excited because you see the money, you may Go grow that faster. Maybe it's four yep. percent. His 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 point is: don't go crazy. Don't go. Oh yeah, I got to put fifty percent from day one, and you won't keep it up. So you yeah, find a system that that works for you. But yeah, I do follow. I do follow that. I have a. I have a. I call it my slush fund um, mm-hmm. at another bank. It's not that hard to get to, but it's it takes a few days to get the money. So I'm not tempted yeah. to rate it for any reason. Right. Right. You just set yourself up for success at. He, basically, it's all about just going from zero to one, like you said, and and setting up the mechanism so that increasing it to two or four or ten or fifty is is just a is just a changing a number, changing a setting. You don't have to set everything up, and maybe someday I'll start making profits. You know, <laughs> so that I think that's a great starting point if, for people who are feeling like it's already they're pretty running pretty lean already and it's close to the bone. It'd be surprising how much toothpaste you can get out of the end of that tube. If you give yourself the constraint that you need to operate your business on how much money you have left over after you take out the profit first, it's just a totally psychological difference, but I think it's an important one. It it matters because, you know, you start with 1% and you kind of don't even notice it. And as that grows, the, the dollars get pretty significant, but what it does, and I, I can say this because I've, I use the system, you know, when I, when I read the book, I said, I'm going to do that. I started with higher numbers than 1%, but it's still, it, it changed how I think about it. And so when I see a dollar come in, I know only half of it's mine and right. I'll have money left. Like after I pay taxes, I'm going to have money left and then I get to do what I want with that. So it's, it's really cool. It's like, no matter I can look at my bank account and know whether there's a big number in it or a small number in it. I'm great. Mm-hmm. Totally yeah. changes how it's you gravy. think about your business. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I just, I, I think it was good that it was such a prominent topic, the conference. I'm trying to think if there was anything else that was like from the, the psychology of it that was relevant. I, what did we cover? Like just the, First of all, separating the business from you, the benefits of having profits in the business, the the smoothing out of the ups and downs that you don't have to make the ups and downs go away. If you have enough of a cushion, it's fine. Uh, you might want to, but you don't have to. Um, and then, you know, being able to, oh, opportunity cost. That was the other thing I wanted to talk about. When when you have enough cushion, you you it becomes a lot, the, the concept of opportunity cost becomes much more real. you It's like you can understand, I, at least with me, I understood opportunity cost in theory, I guess, when uh, when I was younger and had, was like a little bit more 
check to check or like hand him out or whatever the, whatever the expression is. <laughs> and uh, it was like, no, I just need to scramble to get enough money, you know, especially in my music days. Oh, my God. You know, scramble to like, yeah, like, uh, it was a you know bad night at the restaurant. I didn't get as many tips as I was expecting. So next day it looks like I'm going to go stand on the corner and, and play songs and hopefully get some money in my guitar case. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's just it was like. It wasn't, there was like, I hadn't, I guess I felt like I didn't have any opportunities. I just needed to work as hard as possible, as much as possible to like scrap together enough money to like not feel like I was like literally starving. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's how it feels early in the business. It's like every, every dollar feels like gold. Right. Uh, And yeah, right. So it's, it's kind of a similar feeling when you are like, let's say start freelancing, you first hang out your shingle as a solo consultant and you're just like massively grateful for anyone who comes through the door and expresses any interest in maybe writing you a check. (laughs) And it's like, oh yeah, no, we can do that. Yeah, we definitely could do that. I've never done it before, but uh, I'm smart. I can hit the ground running. I'm sure we can figure it out. You know, it's like, it's completely something you don't even do. Um, But you know, you told your spouse that you're going to make a go of it and <laughs> right. All the conversations yep. you'd have to have if, if you didn't have enough money to pay the mortgage, right. Mm-hmm. It's like yep. very, it's that phase. And, and maybe during that phase, like I, I knew that term opportunity cost, but I don't think I, I don't think I, when you don't feel like you have a lot of opportunities, it's kind of meaningless. You're like, okay, that's something nice that for people to worry about, but I don't even know yeah like what are you talking you know in the like i get it but who needs to really worry about that and that's because you're not getting enough good opportunities right but once you get to the point where you've got enough money where you could skate for six months or a year and it's like well what do i want to do i i have time to take a breath and step back and say like what kind of clients do i really want what kind of clients are going to allow me to do my best work and get into my genius zone what revolution do i want to lead what's my big idea and you can you can like you can take a breath and be a little bit more proactive or a lot more proactive about what direction you want to go. Like what even is my objective? Yeah. Like before my objective was like to jump out of the cruise ship and like not drown. And so now, you know, you're at this corporate job that's like a cruise ship and you jump into the ocean. You're like, okay, I'm not drowning. That's step one. <laughs> right. But then like once you're, once you've got a, a sort of raft around you or whatever the metaphor would be, then it's like, all right, where do I want to go? Like, I'm not worried about drowning. It's like, where, where should we go? And the opportunity cost, when you're at that phase, opportunity cost gets really real. It did for me where I'm like, huh, well, like really, what do I want to do? Like, what's the direction or or what's the strategy? To, maybe my direction didn't change, but the strategy might. Yeah, it's it's what I think of as desire-based planning, right? It's you, you say, what do I want? What is my desire? Who do I want to serve? What revolution do I want to lead? What new thing do I want to learn? And it becomes, you know, very you focused on your desires. And you can decouple that. When I think about like the planning process, you decouple that from the money. Mm-hmm. And the thing that will give entrepreneurs the freedom to do that is feeling like there's money in the bank or they've got some regular clients. And so they know, okay, I'm kind of spoken for for 30% of my time, but it's providing 100% of what I need plus right. a 10% cushion. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can sit back now and say, do I want that new client who might be a client from hell? Or do I want to spend, you know, six months working on a new course or program or a book? You know, what do I want to do? And that's the freedom. And and it's really hard for people in their first couple of years where they're they're dealing with a struggle 
to imagine that they're going to have the freedom to make these choices. And the thing is, you have to tell yourself at that stage that you're going to get that freedom. You've got to keep your eye on that. Because the people who don't are the ones that I read about in Twitter saying, all clients, all my clients are bad. I hate all my clients. I mean, you don't want that to be you. Yes. And that's a great segue back to David C. Baker post that that he, he shared recently. He was like, cynicism is prolonged disappointment. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. he's like, you have to avoid that at all costs as a business owner. You have to avoid cynicism because then you end up commiserating, co-miserating yes. with other people who who are drowning. Mm-hmm. And you just can't, eventually yeah. you can't believe that there's a different kind of client out there. And yeah. then it's like doom. It's like, then you're in the death spiral. And there's some, oh, I was reading a book. I wish I could remember what it was. And I didn't finish it, so I may have missed a point here. But there's a psychological thing, and I believe they've proven this, that talking about negative things doesn't make you feel better. And so, you know, having two people talk about this kind of stuff, like it's not like you're solving it. It just brings it back to you. It makes it more real, more immediate. And yeah, it gets you more ticked off. So it's it's funny, you know, that sometimes the instinct is, oh, I need to blow off steam. So I'm like, okay, I do this with friends. You can blow off steam for five minutes because you need to. You got to, there's a valve, but then we're going to stop and we're going to talk about something else. We're not going to talk about that anymore. And it's it's hugely freeing and um, anti-cynics. Uh, anti, it doesn't make for cynics. Let's put it right. that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot, where were we? So, why did I bring opportunity up cost? I mean, opportunity cost. Thank you. Because really, what we what we're talking about is you create a business, you make it not just about you, and it's different when you're when you're a solo in the expertise space versus like some of these agency owners because they've got employees. It's a different. It's a different thing. They have an entity. They worry about the entity. And I know I did this when I ran an entity is that you don't, you don't think about profit first. You think about, oh, I have to invest in growth. I have to invest in growth. So every time you get more money, you're plowing it back into the business, but it's not making you more secure. So yes. I guess my point is that there's, there's that process. It's different with a soloist. And the way that you avoid that is by really thinking about it as a business, of thinking of your time as as an asset or a cost. I guess I should say a cost, not an asset. It's a cost. Yes. So most of the people at this conference had lots of employees. And so they 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 do they clearly were the sort to think about the entity separate from themselves. Like the the thing that's hard for soloists mm-hmm. to do. It's easy for them. But the the mistake mistake that you know if they were having a hard time, one of the things they they would was recommended they look at was like plowing money back into the business. And and in Michalowicz's talk, he was like, you ever notice how your revenue goes up and your costs just like right with it? Yep. <laughs> and the whole time. <laughs> and that's because they would plow the money back into the business to air quotes, invest in growth. And it's like, if you realize that the that growth is those two lines diverging over time and not just going up. Yes. You don't want to scale tandem. up your costs. Your, your revenue should go up without your cost going up. That's, or at least as fast, that's profits. And if in his model, especially, I think it really works for, for people who do have hard costs so that we really, our, our costs are much softer. Um, for people that have hard costs, they have payroll every month that they can't just futz around with. Like it's, it's what it is, or people are going to freak out. Pulling out the profit first and then running the business on the rest 
makes a massive amount of, of sense. Massive. Because with, oh, given, given that yeah. constraint of like not the entire full tube of toothpaste, you get creative about how you're going to get that last bit out. And having constraints is like the source of innovation and creativity and and just like otherwise you're just like the fish is just growing to the size of the bowl every month and you're just like spending all the money that came in you're maybe being not super um, efficient about it you're not being super um you're just not paying that much attention to it because you're bringing in so much money that it feels very slushy and like ah no big deal we'll just well we need to it's just sloppy you just get sloppy and and then what happens after that layoffs like this just happened, like if you're, if you're just constantly reinvesting in the business, the thing that will often happen next is like the, re- the revenue that you've been enjoying goes down because you lost a big client or something. You can't make the next payroll. So you fire people mm-hmm. if you don't it's have a cushion. very short-term thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when I heard that Michaela, or when I fir- read his, his book, Profit First, I had this moment where I went, why did I not know this when I had a firm full of people? Right. <laughs> Because that's exactly what happens. And then, so your payroll goes up and theoretically our profits would go up, but you have to pay the payroll before the profits come. And then by the time the profits come, you know, my partner would be like, oh, you know, we really should invest in this. We need this system. We need, there was all, it's like renovating a house, a big, Mm -hmm. big house. It's like, there's always something that you can invest in if you want to, instead of pulling it off the top. That is the thing. If I could go back, I would have changed that from day one. It was right. awesome. Right. Because yeah. then then you've got, it's like you've got a um, someone to throw under the bus. And that someone is like, this is how much money is in the, the operating costs account. Yeah. Like, go spend it all if you want, because we already took the profits out. <laughs> it's not a discussion of like whether or not you should buy new standing desks for everyone. It's like, we don't can't afford standing desks for everyone. So, yeah. no. Yeah. Right. It's not it's not even a conversation. It's just like we don't have the money conversation Mm -hmm. over. But if if you haven't been taking out the profits and you're just spending everything every month or whatever, that's you're growing a bad business. (laughs) You're right. You're growing a a unprofitable business. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, okay. Is there anything else we need to hammer on here? We've got one last thing on opportunity costs I wanted to like point out. So, like, imagine if you are imagine if you are you know, the, the agency owner in the situation where the client, you know, big client, maybe it wasn't USA Today, but somebody like that. And, and they're like, we need to change the creative on this because people are freaking out. Mm-hmm. And, and if the agency owner had been like, okay, I don't want to lose this account. Um, and we're just, just going to do bad work. You know the employees aren't going to enjoy doing the bad work. You know oh, the employees creatives, are, are you like, kidding me? The, the top creatives, the first time they have a, a place to jump to, they're going to be out of there. Out of there, right. Yeah. And Talk about feeling unsupported in your work. Right. And you, so did, you, you did creative and it sold a gazillion of whatever they were selling and you have to just trash it. Right. No. Yeah. yeah. I'd be it's looking insulting. for another job. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, unsupported by leadership, so forth. So, so you, you've ticked off your employees. They're probably going to be looking for the exits at some point, not the next day, but at some point. And uh, you are the, the client, this bad client is now bossing you around and you are, you're maxed out, let's say, and Porsche comes along and you don't even try to get it or mm-hmm. you don't have, you've lost the key people that would have landed it for you or whatever. That's opportunity cost in action where it's like, yeah. Well, the key people are so demoralized 
mm-hmm. from that experience that they're like, oh, yeah, sure, Porsche, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, what, we're just going to do crappy work for Porsche now? Yeah. Or, or Oh, you know that. that. Somebody would say that. Or Porsche doesn't even ask them to, to it doesn't even have a meeting with them because they see like, oh, they, they lost their nerve on the creative. The creative's bad now. Yeah, yeah. So it's, that is a really clear example. I'm compressing the timeline a little. It probably wouldn't, the, the, the company wouldn't nosedive in six months. The, the agency wouldn't. But that's what leads to just clients from hell because you can't do good work. You're not going to get good testimonials. It's it's just garbage. It just turns into garbage, and you don't have the mental bandwidth or the or perhaps the capacity if you do have employees to take on a good client when they come along because you're busy. Mm-hmm. It's like oh no, maybe in six months and like yeah, we can't wait that long. Yeah, let me keep working for this horrible client while yeah. the good ones pass me by. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's it's it is hard to think about opportunity costs when you're in the scramble. Mm-hmm. And so maybe a way to think about it is that you want the ability <laughs> to evaluate opportunity costs with every new thing that presents itself or that you, that you go off discovering. Mm. So TBOA bingo, here we go. Objective, <laughs> strategy, tactics last, right? So yeah. when you have a chance to say like, where do I want to go? What is my objective? What What is my end game? As one of the other speakers was calling it, what is my end game? What am I shooting for maybe in the next year or three years or something? And mm-hmm. and then, okay, that's all right. I definitely want that. This is the life that I want to have two years from now. What are the possible ways that I could get there? How could I apply my strengths to some weakness to create leverage for myself? And then what are the tactics that come out of that strategy? And then commit to the strategy, adjust the tactics as you go, and you can really start to steer the ship instead of being like tossed around on the, you know, just like, oh you know paddle for your life (laughs) well yeah it's it's making decisions you know i I mean it really is and whenever we make a decision it excludes something else that we could have done and the thing that always makes me sad for people is when i see them not making decisions because they don't know what to do so they Mm. do nothing and it's i'd rather see somebody pick a niche and then go you know this is probably isn't right for me and pivot a little bit than to do nothing and just flail around for another year yeah. Every decision you make is going to lead you, um, clo- well, first of all, it will give you a learning experience, but it sh- it should lead you to um, something better, you know, and yeah. if it's, if, if it, if it's the wrong thing, then you're going to stop doing that and you're going to do something else. You're going to make another decision. Yeah. I mean, maybe this would be a good episode for next week to talk about decisions. Cause that was, that was another keynote from this conference that absolutely blew me away. Loved it. Uh, but, but to sticking with the point, it's like making it's like you decide between something easy, what you know is easy and what you know is right. And it becomes mm-hmm. a question of like long-term, short-term thinking. Sometimes you need to think short-term because you're scrambling, but it's, it's, if you can afford to think long-term, it's on average going to get you to a better place. And the, and to pull it all the way back to the very beginning, all of this, like, you know, steering the ship and, and, and uh, not, suffering opportunity costs or or not you know being careful about your opportunity costs and like all of this stuff it comes from one single thing and that is profitability that's <laughs> the only thing that will give you yeah. the power to do any of this like more is freedom it's freedom choice you can choose you can decide i mean you always have a choice but sometimes your options are hideous or one option is hideous and the other one's merely bad 
but you always have a choice. But if you want to be, if you want to be, have a, a, a list of options that are all good, like when you have a list of options that are all pretty good, it starts to get like, you have to introspect and be like, well, where do I want to go? I could go to Paris. Mm-hmm. I could go to New York. I could go to New Orleans, Vancouver. I can go to any of these places. Which one do I want to go to? And it's like, huh, mm-hmm. okay, well, I don't know. Like, you know, it's so much more fun. And, it, you know, it takes work to get there, obviously. But but profitability is what gets you there. That is literally the thing. Which means that we, and when I say we, I mean soloists, have to start really thinking about profitability. It's too easy not to because of the nature of our business and, and revenue. Mm-hmm. But it changes the game in all the ways that we've just talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Full stop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>